we're coming to the end of the Kayagata Sati Sutta and uh, the mindfulness of the body, of course. And we find some quite interesting content there, which at this point in time may be just something about the future. But no matter, first of all we need to finish the Sutta, but secondly, it is helpful to know what we can expect if we practice diligently, ardently, self-controlled, as the Buddha says. So when mindfulness of the body is developed, repeatedly practiced, made the vehicle, made the basis, established, consolidated, and properly undertaken, these ten rewards may be expected. What ten? Now, the first one is he becomes a conqueror of aversion and delight, and aversion does not conquer him, and he abides transcending aversion as it arises. I only mentioned delight once, but obviously what we're hearing is that hate and greed have been surpassed, transcended. Now hate and greed are only transcended at the third step of noble attainment. And in order to make that a little clearer, I think I'll have to explain it. In this tradition there are four steps. The Buddha analyzed the attainment of liberation and freedom into four steps. And this also agrees with many other traditions in Buddhism who do not put it in that distinct category, but as in Zen, for instance, they keep saying that if you have attained something, keep practicing. Well, obviously, because you haven't got there yet. They do not analyze it as much as the Buddha did. Buddha puts it into four distinct categories, one could say. Stream enterer, once returner, non-returner, and arahant. Now, as the names say, the stream enterer has the first experience of Nibbana. The word Nibbana, literally translated, means non-burning. Ni is non, and bana is burning, non-burning, no passions. So, a stream enterer has entered the stream and can no longer be stopped. That person has to go all the way. It is said about a stream enterer that he has no more than seven lives to live through. However, a stream enterer can go to the last attainment in this one life, he can theoretically do it in one sitting. And as you heard in the first sutta, in the Satipatthana sutta, it's a matter of seven days. Why thus taking us fourteen, I wouldn't know, but uh, <laughs> that's just what's happening. So the stream entrer loses the first 
three of ten fetters which are not identical what's, list, what's listed here with the ten rewards these are on a different level but I would like to mention the ten fetters so that there's no confusion in the mind of what we're speaking here and what are the ten fetters because some of you have heard that before the first three fetters are that one loses the wrong view of self this is a personal experience at the moment the past moment which is called in Pali Magga M-A-G-G-A past and at that moment it's a personal experience however because it is the very first one it's still weak and does not we get retained in the consciousness as a constant way of being it gets retained in the consciousness as a knowing and it's very important to know the difference between knowing and being and I think I have belabored you with that that much that by now that should be very clear the knowing is what the mind thinks up and the being is what one actually experiences so the although the stream mantra has had the experience of the right view of self which means no self nobody there that person cannot retain that consciousness can only retain the knowing now although that is already a big difference from an ordinary person it does not affect hate and greed so you, this first step the three mantra is the first one that's called a noble one an Arya as compared to a Puttajana which is a worldling an ordinary person and yet this noble one has not done anything about hate and greed so this should I think give us a very clear impression of the hate and greed rampant in the world and we should never again be surprised about others or our own if we even haven't done any steps into Nibbana yet that is the natural way of being hate and greed worldlings have them practically everybody in the world is a worldling so the first step having this knowledge um, the right view has also with it a loss of belief in rites and rituals now in India of course in religious societies rites and rituals are extremely strong but we don't have to go very far for rites and rituals we have clubs, associations, committees we have our habits which we believe to be correct because they're ours we have um, all sorts of um, constant referral to a certain way of being which we also call our culture or our society so rites and rituals are not necessarily only confined to having a religious festival it can go much further so a person who has had the experience of the non-self the insubstantiality of this mind and body without a person sitting 
within, that person will no longer believe that any of the um, preconceived notions on how to do things will bring him or her to final liberation. That doesn't mean that one has to immediately change our one's habits. It just means that there's no longer the belief that they will do something for one. It's been shaken. And the third thing that's lost is a skeptical doubt. Now the skeptical doubt in the teaching, in the spiritual path, in one's own ability to actually fulfill it. Because one has proven for oneself that this is possible and that one can do it and that it's according to what the Buddha promised. These are the three fetters. Now the past moment, I think this is also important to know, at least for future reference, the past moment is immediately followed by the fruit moment. And this has to be understood like this. The past moment is the action. The actual happening and the fruit moment is a recognition of it and they follow each other immediately because if the if the recognition doesn't follow one would be totally disorientated so and it would be useless one wouldn't have any any benefit from it so it is again the understood experience First is the experience, which takes one mind moment, which is a jhanic mind moment. The concentration is of jhana strength, but it's one moment only. And the fruit moment is said to take um, two moments, and it's called pala, P-H-A-L-A. And the two together are called magapala, and that's what one actually works for as a meditator. Path and fruit, magapala. Now, the, that fruit moment is followed by something which we could call, well, traditionally and um, in, the, um, uh, in the canon, it's called the reviewing knowledge. In other words, what I call the recap. And that can happen immediately after, or it can take time. If one, one can do it an hour later, even two hours or a day later. It's a reviewing knowledge, which is the uh, terminology used particularly in the Visuddhimagga. And it means that one reviews within oneself what this understood experience has meant to oneself, what has been changed within oneself. And particularly one looks to see how the defilements have been affected. And one can either use the five hindrances for that as a checkpoint or just hate, greed and delusion. doesn't matter. One can use pride. One can use anything that one knows about oneself as Checking. Reviewing knowledge means that one now checks out what has this meant to me. And also, very important aspect at that moment, 
is to when the viewing knowledge comes or even earlier right after the food moment to be totally aware of the feeling which arises from the understanding from the food moment what is the or that arises by having the food moment one should say a feeling is arising by having the food moment by the understanding and the viewing knowledge can come later it usually comes a little later because one is pretty um, taken with the happening and can't immediately put one's mind on something else some people can in some need time now that's the first step the stream entry it is also said about a stream entry that he can no longer break any of the five precepts the ones you took the first day here and can no longer be reborn the lower human being for the simple fact that keeping the five precepts guarantees a human rebirth now these are traditional ways of explanation another traditional explanation is that a person who has followed the Buddha's teaching and has had that moment remember, will never again listen to another teacher except the Buddha because the confidence has, that has arisen is unshakable now that unshakable confidence is like a rock from which one can then practice with more ease if a person knows that they've had stream entry and sometimes even when they don't know it makes such an enormous impact on them that it is very likely that one could expect them to practice diligently so that they could make an end of this round of birth and rebirth the second step is called the once returner obviously such a person has to come back once more to finish the matter off and as a result of having a second past and fruit moment hate and greed are diminished now imagine once already well established as a noble one and hate and greed are only diminished I think that what should give one a clear insight into the misery which exists in the world because of hate and greed it is so prevalent that anyone who doesn't display it becomes a seventh world wonder a person who has that second past moment will have again the same type of experience only more incisive it will have made more of an impression I like to compare that to having taken a major at university and having your first year exams you've got the major you have your exams and you supposedly know a little more now next year second year exams same subject same major 
exams are more difficult and supposedly you know more. This is the same here, same subject. It's a little harder and it goes a little further. Now the little harder is not discernible because at that time having had the first step behind one the mind is geared for the second step so it doesn't feel it that it's harder but it does go a little further in that moment where the ego is let go and therefore hate and greed is diminished the knowledge of no self of course has been there all the time the feeling of no self now arises more frequently but it's still not a matter of constancy the me still comes back in these first two are actually one could say the kindergarten of enlightenment just as the first three jhanas are the kindergarten of the meditative absorption but it's a very important kindergarten to attend without it one can't come to high school the non-returner would could call high school and the non-returner obviously does not come back to the human realm from the word that we hear but has to finish the matter off in one of the higher realms the non-returner has eliminated five of ten fetters in other words he's done half the work and we can see that from this very first paragraph which I have read that he has this person has conquered aversion and delight this is a non-returner because a non-returner the third stage of noble one is the one who has finally got rid of hate and greed and from now on the feeling of non-self which has always been lurking in the background ever since the beginning of this um, of the path and fruit um, is almost always there almost not always it does not have to be brought forward on purpose it does get lost once in a while and if such a person then has a does a reviewing knowledge he or she can find that the self-notion the self-feeling is still within to the extent of the scent that clings to a flower it's very subtle but it's there and the person knows it and therefore such a person has a determination to make an end of the whole misery by losing even that little bit of self-notion the fetters which are remaining are five 
and the first one is called ignorance which means that the, the person still has not come to the full recognition or experience of no self and therefore there's still ignorance there to go along with that is the is conceit now conceit does not mean that such a person is conceited it means that there is still that conceiving of that little bit of self which impairs humility just slightly everything is very slight and subtle but humility is not total because it's a little bit impaired from the conceit certainly much less than any any previous state when there's still some restlessness because it still hasn't been finished the whole thing and then there are two notions in the mind which are also connected to that last bit of self namely a wish for a rebirth of this very slight self in the most exalted realm so that out of this dukkha realm one could then have a bit of a rest in a sukha realm now obviously that is a wrong notion because any existence and any rebirth is dukkha but because that person isn't totally enlightened yet that may arise it may, must not it may and that is connect that is divided into two parts because there are two kinds of higher realms which I don't won't go into now because I don't uh, are not significant for us at the moment so he has done away with five fetters the first three of the stream enter and hate in greed but he has still got five to go and those five will only be eliminated for the arahant the fully enlightened one so there has to be taken another step and that other's next step then eliminates all notions all feelings that there is a person everything has become only phenomena which are arising and ceasing contracting and expanding without any personal gain or ownership without any personal interference and because of that ignorance has disappeared conceit no longer exists restlessness is gone because there's nowhere to go and nothing to do it's all been done and of course a wish for a rebirth cannot arise because there's nobody there to make the wish such a person still acts eats sleeps drinks excretes and talks but it doesn't have a notion that there's an i doing it a me doing it and therefore because of that no karma is being made and when there's no karma being made no rebirth is possible there's nobody there to be reborn now these are the four stages of holiness the Aryans and each one of course is a major undertaking 
from the point of practice, but also from the point of result. As we change, the world changes with us. We can only see the world the way we are. So when we see it without the me, within the world looks entirely different. It doesn't have its separations, identifications. It doesn't have the duality. All is happening because of craving. Now, what we see here is an explanation of what happens to the non-returner. He also becomes a conqueror of fear and dread because fear and dread are part of aversion. Fear, you can only fear what you hate, you can't fear what you love, and dread is the same thing as fear, just another word for it. Fear and dread do not conquer him, and he abides transcending fear and dread as they arise. It's interesting. He transcends them as they arise. They do arise, but he transcends them. So if we can take this literally, what is written here, which is sometimes um, doubtful because of translation difficulties and also because of um, the age of the um, originals, we could think that such a person has um, fear and dread arise, but he immediately transcends them. And this would go along with the fact that pleasant and unpleasant feelings will arise as long as there is body and mind, but there will be no reaction to it. So if we can consider fear and dread as unpleasant feelings, and if they can arise, then there's no reaction to it. And this is what I was telling you about when we spoke about feeling and then craving. If there's no which also means rejecting, huh? So if there's no reaction, they have no meaning, they're meaningless. Next one is interesting. He becomes one who bears cold and heat, hunger and thirst, and contact with mosquitoes, flies, must have been in Australia, wind, sun, and creeping things, who endures ill-spoken, unwelcome words, and arisen bodily feelings that are painful, racking, sharp and piercing, disagreeable, distressing and menacing to life. So in other words, such a person doesn't mind whether it's cold or hot, whether there's hunger and thirst, mosquitoes, flies, wind, sun and creeping things, and also ill-spoken words, in other words, abuse. They do not make an impression and also painful bodily feelings, so, which means painful emotional possibilities and painful physical possibilities. All of that is being born without any reaction, equanimity, complete equanimity. Since the Equanimity is only complete in the Arahants, are fully enlightened. One could assume here that we're speaking now about an Arahant. The first one, of course, is also the um, quality of an Arahant, that he has no delight and aversion, but it's also the quality of a non-returner. 
But since total equanimity is not yet the base for the non-returner, because he hasn't got full enlightenment, one would assume this to be the Arahant. These ten rewards are not the same as the ten fetters, but some of them do overlap, so as the hate and greed and the fear and dread. Now he becomes one who obtains at will, with no trouble, and easily, the four jhanas, which are the higher mind, and provide a pleasant abiding here and now. So you see what the Buddha said about them? They are a pleasant abiding here and now, and they are the higher mind, and such a person can do that at will. Of course, one would assume that a non-returner can do that at will. His mind should be well enough established that he could at least practice to get there. An arahant, of course, because the arahant, not having any me disturbing him or her, would have no problem being concentrated because the only disturber is me. No me, no disturbance. Simple, isn't it? So, he's got all these wonderful things. So now come some interesting things which are called the higher knowledges. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six of them. Um, the higher knowledge is Abhinyanas and um, yeah, the, the dictionary is on my desk I brought the one one brought this one it doesn't do anybody any good it's German <laughs> <laughs> because I can read German no, these are the Abhinyanas, the higher knowledges, and some enlightened, some Arahants, enlightened ones, have them and some don't. It is um, a matter of their natural inclination in the mind whether these higher knowledges do occur. They can be practiced, of course, but most people are quite satisfied to be enlightened and not. Um, even not having these higher knowledges, at least five of them, the sixth one is essential. But some people, on their way to enlightenment, when being non-returner or even earlier, develop some of this. And it is usually of two kinds. One is that it's due to past life experience, that it has come with that, and the other, well, I think that would always play part in it. And the other possibility, of course, which is there for the person to uh, arouse that or to have it arise, the higher knowledges, is the fact that the mind is so inclined. In other words, it's a, it's a mind which does not necessarily like to analyze, but it's more a mind which likes to stay with the feelings. So it is very often a mind which goes through what is called Chetavimuti rather than Panyavimuti. Chetavimuti is liberation of heart and mind. Muti is liberation, Chetu is heart and mind, and Panyavimuti is liberation through wisdom. Obviously, in full liberation both come together. 
so the um, these are called here the higher knowledges are called the supernormal success and um, and supernormal success does indicate uh, something about it namely that we would not call this normal these kinds of abilities but that's only because we're looking at them uh, from a standpoint of very ordinary worldlings and I mean anybody who's never done the meditative absorption would think well that's super normal but once having done them it's quite normal and anybody who is a worldling and has not come into contact with the experience of um, Nibbana would think that that is supernormal. Having gone there, that becomes normal. So it's always supernormal from the lower level. But having but on the level that one where one is, it's no longer supernormal. It's normal. So we need not think that these are magical or mystical qualities. I did bring it here. I better tell her. tell her not to look. I brought all of them, the whole lot. I just want to read you what it says about Abhinyana um, in here. That's why I'll, I'll wait a moment. <laughs> I'm sorry, I brought it. <laughs> the six higher powers or supernormal knowledges consist of five mundane powers attainable through the utmost perfection in mental concentration, in other words, through the jhanas. And one super-mundane power attainable through penetrating insight. So the five mundane powers are the ones which I have said are not necessary. They do arise in a kind of mind which is geared in that direction. However, the sixth one is, of course, essential because that is penetrating insight and that's the super-mundane one which takes one to the super mundane result. That's the sixth one is the extinction of all cankers, in other words, the realization of arahanship or holiness. So now I will I will read you from the sutta, which is identical I think to what this is here, the uh, the uh, supernormal powers which are called mundane. In other words, they can arise still before one is arahant. They are mundane. The first one. I have proclaimed to my disciples the way to wield the various kinds of supernormal success. Having been one, they are many. Having been many, they are one. They appear and vanish. What does that remind you of? One and many, many and one. 
just remind you of something that you learned as kids. <laughs> That's funny because I never learned it and I reminded me of that immediately. And doesn't it remind you of when Jesus made enough bread out of seven loaves to feed all the masses? One out of many, many out of one. The same thing. Yeah. That's right, isn't it? He had seven loaves and he made so many that everybody could be fed. Is that correct? It's not, it's not in my background, but it reminded me of that immediately. <laughs> um, okay, they appear and vanish. They go unhindered through walls, through enclosures, through mountains, as though in space. They dive in and out of earth as though in water. They go on unbroken water as though on earth. Jesus walked on water, right? Seated cross-legged, they travel in space like winged birds. With their hands they touch and stroke the moon and sun so mighty and powerful. They wield bodily mastery even as far as the world of the divinity, Brahma, the Brahma world, the world world. Just as a skilled potter or his apprentice might make, create, out of well-prepared clay, whatever shape of pot he wished, or just as a skilled ivory worker or his apprentice might make, might create out of well-prepared ivory whatever ivory work of art he wished, or just as a skilled goldsmith or his apprentice might make or create out of well-prepared gold whatever gold work of art he wished, so too I have proclaimed to my disciples the way to wield the various kinds of supernormal success. They wield bodily mastery even as far as the world of the divinity. Now, one of the aspects which is typically the Buddha is that he talks about some really uh, supernormal things and uh, comes right back to daily life and gives the uh, similes of daily life. He was a real pragmatist. And um, the other thing is that he has proclaimed it to his disciples the way to wield, but... Um, the way to wield is only proclaimed uh, in in so far as the jhanas the, and the uh, either non-return or arahantship and not uh, not anything about how to do this one shouldn't think that he has explained how to do this he hasn't if he has it's no longer with us it's got lost it's uh, certainly nowhere to be found This is not printed in the sutta that we are reading, so I have to go always to another sutta. It takes me a moment to do it. Now the next one. The next one is called the heavenly ear element. I have proclaimed to my disciples the way to hear with the heavenly ear element, which is purified and surpasses the human, 
both kinds of sounds, the heavenly and the human, those that are far as well as near, just as though a vigorous hornblower might make himself heard without difficulty in the four directions, so too I have proclaimed to my disciples the way to hear, far as well as near. Clear audience. That's what we call it. And there are people who have it. Um, there are people who think they have it, and we have an inkling of it. There are some who really have some of that. But in perfection, it would have to be a non-returner on our hand, either one of the two, to have it in perfection, because of the fact that one has to be purified. The reason that one has to be purified is that there must, no, no, there must not be any obstruction within. And the obstruction within is a personal obstruction. I hear, I think, I know, I will, I can. With that, there's no clear audience. There has to be total emptiness within to, uh, to run through. So it has to be someone um, who has gone that way that far. Next one is called Encompassing the Mind. Quite interesting. I have proclaimed to my disciples the way to understand by encompassing with mind the mind of other beings of other persons. With, the pers- with one's mind, the other mind. They understand mind affected by lust as affected by lust mind unaffected by lust as unaffected by lust. They understand mind affected by hate as affected by hate, mind unaffected by hate as unaffected by hate. They understand mind affected by delusion as affected by delusion, mind unaffected by delusion as unaffected by delusion. They understand the contracted mind as contracted, the distracted mind as distracted. They understand the exalted mind as exalted, unexalted as unexalted, the surpassed mind is surpassed as a jhanas. The unsurpassed mind is unsurpassed. They understand the concentrated mind is concentrated. The unconcentrated is unconcentrated. The liberated mind is liberated. The unliberated mind is unliberated. Now, here, what we uh, read here is uh, this, that a person who has become non-returnal and can, and has done through the, through the jhanas can very easily be aware of what goes on in other people's minds. And it sounds as if it was super normal, but it isn't. It's normal. Because the mind of such a person does not carry so much of self or none of self. And therefore it's totally open to other minds. Also it has the strength of concentration through the jhana and that strength of concentration is penetrating now the walking on water is due to strength of concentration so such a person one would think then oh dear they can read my mind that's awful I better not get near them but um, it isn't like that because such a person has to have with their attainment total compassion also so if there is no compassion there's no attainment they do go hand in hand. So if the person can read one's mind, that's okay, because they've got total compassion. And also, they've got a bit of memory left over, I should think, to tell them that they themselves thought like that at one time or another. So, because having become aware of oneself in order to go this path, there's nothing unknown anymore. 
You see, you can only recognize a mind affected by lust if one knows what it feels like to have lust in the mind. So the person who recognizes that would also have had lust in the mind at one time or another. So there would be no um, denigrating the, the other person because then it's known this is the way, this is the path. So one doesn't have to be afraid of a person reading one's mind because if they can do it, they've got to be have the compassion with it. And if they don't have the compassion with it, they also can't read the mind. <laughs> Give them now again a very ordinary uh, simile. Just as a woman or man, young, useful, fond of finery, on regarding the image of her own face. Now he makes it female, very interesting. <laughs> Usually the whole thing is male orientated in a very sexist language, all of a sudden it becomes female. <laughs> of her own face in a clean, bright looking glass or in a bowl of clear water would know if there were a spot thus, there is a spot or would know if there were no spot thus, there is no spot so too I have proclaimed to my disciples a way to understand and, un and then the whole thing again finishes with an unliberated mind as unliberated so it's like looking in a, in a, in a mirror right? like the, the whole thing is like looking in a mirror and that is another thing which is also part of this whole thing. As I said before, only a Buddha knows a Buddha. We only know in another what we know about ourselves. And since a person who's gone past all these uh, experiences has had them, knows them from personal experience, can see all the way as far as they themselves have got, even on return or Arahant. And only an Arahant knows an Arahant because an unenlightened person wouldn't know what would they know about it and looks and talks and eats and sleeps just like anybody else and that's why um, so this is um, the third one eh? the first one is this uh, strong power to change um, mater materiality now, I was going to say another thing about it. It all, it all sounds completely superhuman and, 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 and uh, immense. But if you remember that everything that exists is made up of particles, everything, including ourselves, and that these particles are constantly coming together and falling apart, it makes a lot of reasons. It's very logical to understand that one can walk through a wall because it has only solidity as far as we perceive it when we no longer perceive that solidity it's no longer there now that does exactly what I was telling you about yesterday that we see the world because we project it see we project solidity into this world our physical mm -hmm. eyes can't see the particles our human eyesight is not good enough for that to see the particles so we immediately project solidity but that this is not so well yes it's written in a, in a science book somewhere but I mean you know who cares nobody would like to change their physical perception of this 
but if the mental perception has been totally changed and there's no coming back anymore from that mental perception that's how Jesus walked on water water has the earth element in it he never he didn't perceive it anymore as being something where he would drown so this this change of perception is particularly all these mundane higher knowledges right the ones we are concerned with right now these are possible for a person with utter devotion utter confidence and a great love towards that what they consider the highest ideal it's not for people who are analytical who can also gain arahantship it's not uh, that only these people do but this is a kind of character which is um, more on that side of um, devotion and love and what is change the world or the, the perception the, per- the person yeah that I, I understand but I mean um, when that person has changed the mental perception um, will he be able to change his own body in order to go through that wall or that wall is he going to change that <laughs> no uh, it's neither the body and the wall remain essentially the same but because the total mental perception is completely different the wall is no longer a, a solid a block well let's use walking on water I mean we can't do it can we and yet it's been done more than once there's another thing which is even nearer to home which you may have heard about Walk, uh, walking on burning coals it's been it's it being done in uh, in India and Sri Lanka yes uh, it used to be a religious uh, um, offering nowadays it's a tourist attraction I mean everything gets debased eventually but the interesting part is that they're teaching this to tourists and they can actually do it it can be taught it can be taught the difference of perception I mean the coals are just as hot as they've always been and the minute one loses the perception they start burning It's, it's interesting what it tells us for any personal interest is that the mind is a jewel capable of the most uh, exalted states particularly enlightenment and that we need to guard it as a jewel and never allow it to um, go into decline through negativity so we have another one now we have an interesting one that people are playing around with all the time recollection of past life Rebirth, rebirthing it's called no rebirthing wonderful I might tell you right now before I even start reading it that the Buddha said that if we are able to recall our past lives well and good 
it means we're far enough advanced in our spiritual um, emancipation to be unaffected. But if we play around with it and try to understand what was happening in the past, the um, difficulties, the dukkha which we've had, would be added on to the dukkha we're having now. And uh, we'd uh, suffer far more than necessary. There is no single life ever lived without dukkha. It's not possible. So we should not um, try to, you know, imagine or find anything, but actually be able to our own, to our own development to understand the past lives. So here he talks like this. I have proclaimed to my disciples a way to recollect their manifold past lives. That is to say, one birth, two, three, four, five, ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred, a thousand, a hundred thousand. Many eons of world contraction, many eons of world expansion, many eons of world contraction and expansion. There I was so named of such a race, with such an appearance, such was my food, my acquaintance with pleasure and pain, the end of my lifespan, and passing away from there, I appeared elsewhere, and there too I was so named, and so on, passing away from there, we appeared here. Thus with its details and particulars, they recollect their manifold past life. Just as though a man went from his own village to another village, and then he went from that village to another, and then he went back again to his own village and thought, I went from my own village to that village, and there was the way I, there was the way I stood, such was the way I said, I spoke, I was silent, and from that village I went on to that other village, and there such was the way I stood, said, spoke, was silent, and then I came back to my own. So too I have proclaimed to my disciples the way to recollect their manifold past lives, Thus they recollect their manifold past lives with its details and particulars. So in order to recollect one really, it's like a movie that one sees. There's no, nothing hidden if there is a proper recollection of past lives. And the only usefulness it can possibly be is to make an absolutely solid determination if one is a non-returner not to stop it back up and come in our hand so one doesn't have to come back and do that whole thing over again. Otherwise, at that stage of development where one can do that, they, should, they, should, they wouldn't affect one anymore. One would see it impersonally. It's just somebody. It's certainly not me. It certainly doesn't look like me. It is, but it is known to be me. Uh, this is also something like maybe that has happened to you sometime when you have a dream. And in that dream there's a person. And you know very well that's you. But that person has no physical resemblance to you. Maybe you can't even see the physical of that person. But you know that's me. And you're having all sorts of horrors because of that me. That happens. It's the same with the past lives. They are like a dream. Like a remembered dream. And... Uh, there is that me in there that was a me otherwise it wouldn't have been reborn but it has no connection to this one and it certainly looks entirely different the only connection are the karma resultants 
I had an experience which one could um, uh, use as an as a, um, analogy for that. I went back to my hometown after having where I was born, after having been away for 45 years, and I went along the streets that I could vaguely remember, and I could vaguely remember that I had been there as a child but I could not connect the child to who I am now. I could see that child, which I knew what it looked like from photos. I mean, I couldn't remember what I looked like, but I could remember from photos walking along there. I could see that, and I could remember that I had played there, but there was absolutely no connection to now. So it was like an old movie that was playing, and that old movie was interesting because there was somebody in there whom I had the idea that I knew, but it was, certainly wasn't me. So that has a bit of a, uh, it's in this life of course, it's not a past life, it's this life. Um, so it has a bit of an, a resemblance to this uh, recollecting of past lives. And of course from this life I knew exactly where I went and what I did and uh, uh, where I lived and how I uh, uh, walked up and down the stairs but it wasn't me somebody else somebody who was totally different and certainly no connection so this past life business what I'd like to say is I'd like to warn against this now very uh, prevalent curiosity to find out who I was and what I was doing because that's going to get rid of all my hang ups on the contrary it's going to double the hang ups <laughs> when we are supposed to know we'll know we can then go back and see it all and if we are not interested we don't have to it's not necessary these are mundane knowledges now comes a heavenly eyesight that's the last one a clairvoyance I have proclaimed to my disciples the way whereby with heavenly eyesight which is purified and surpasses the human to see beings passing away and reappearing inferior and superior, fair and ugly well behaved and ill behaved they understand how beings pass on according to their kammas thus these worthy beings who are ill conducted in body, speech and mind revilers of noble ones wrong in their views giving effect to wrong view in their actions, have on the dissolution of the body after death, appeared in a state of deprivation in an unhappy destination, in perdition, even in hell. These are um, traditional um, paragraphs. But these worthy beings who are well conducted in body, speech and mind, not revilers of the noble ones, right in their views, giving effect to right view in their actions, have on the dissolution of the body after death, appeared in a happy destination, even in the heavenly world. Thus, with the heavenly eyesight, which is purified and surpasses the human, they see beings passing away and reappearing, inferior and superior, fair and ugly, well-behaved and ill-behaved. They understand how beings pass on according to their kammas. Just as though there were two houses with doors and a man with good eyes standing there in between, saw men entering the houses and coming out and going to and fro, so too I have proclaimed to my disciples the way to see with heavenly eyesight how beings pass on according to their comrades. 
this is not the kind of clairvoyance that we uh, sometimes um, read about uh, people can see sitting here they can see what's happening in Perth or they can see what's happening in uh, Nairobi or something like that um, it's not that at all it is understanding how a person's karma affects their uh, rebirth and uh, which of course would um, be again like reading the mind of the other person and seeing that their minds may be um, of um, unwholesome uh, character and therefore there would be uh, unwholesome rebirth and the same vice versa with a wholesome character and a wholesome rebirth and uh, a person who has these abilities and has of course been at least non-return or arahant would feel naturally inclined to use his or her compassion for helping others with that because one could now as you know we are all only able to gain the benefit from the things we do ourselves but if one if another person sometimes points out uh, difficulties which we might not see ourselves it could be very helpful so the difficulty that a person of that nature has sometimes or maybe more than sometimes is that the minds of other people of course are unenlightened and therefore often unwholesome and if such a person has not reached non-returner or arahant and can do this already they would feel themselves badly affected by it so we should never play around with such powers unless we have already reached a high state of development non-returner or arahant where these things no longer affect us there's nothing but compassion so it should um, not be done nilly-willy but uh, this comes up as a resultant of the um, uh, attainments that a person has now these are the mundane things but there's one which is absolutely essential um, uh, that's only very shortly explained here I'll read the long version um, now that's the sixth one and the sixth one is essential and this is what we're actually working for I have proclaimed to my disciples the way whereby through realization themselves with direct knowledge that means having the past moment eh? realization with direct knowledge here now they enter upon and abide in the deliverance of the heart and deliverance by understanding which is a, uh, one is Chetta and one is Panya deliverance of the heart and deliverance by wisdom or understanding that are taint free with the exhaustion of tents just if there were a lake in a mountain recess clear, limpid and unturbid so that a man with good eyes standing there on the bank saw shells, gravel and pebbles and also shoals of fish swimming about and resting and he might think there is this lake clear, limpid and unturbid and there are these shells, gravel and pebbles and also these shoals of fish swimming about and resting so too I have proclaimed to my disciples the way whereby through realization themselves with direct knowledge here and now they enter upon and abide in the deliverance of the heart 
and deliverance for understanding that are tent free with the exhaustion of tents. And thereby many disciples of mine have reached the consummation, the perfection of direct knowledge and abide in it. Exhaustion of tents is of course Arahant, tent free, because he's got rid of all of them. And um, the tents are the Asavas in Pali. And they are um, literally translated, the word Asava means an outflow. It's something that we have in here and that flows out. So they are, in, they are translated as um, cankers, taints, corruptions, intoxicants, biases. But I think um, we can just call them taints and leave it at that. Um, there is that of sense desire. There is that of desiring eternal existence. Now that's a taint. Huh? The sense desire is a common one. We know that one already but the desire for eternal existence, which is this idea of my soul is forever and it's going to have the right-hand side of God, um, which is not, uh, or the left-hand side or whatever, um, uh, or, you know, St. Peter at the the pearly gates letting you in and, uh, you know, it's no longer going to be dukkha, it's all going to be pleasure from now on. This is that desire for eternal existence, which is very natural. And it manifests in things which we then try to proclaim as uh, a truth. And of course, as I said to you once before, the Christian mystics of the Middle Ages particularly didn't believe in this at all. Uh, they all had one, one goal, and that was losing self in what they called the God consciousness. And uh, which totally accords with the Buddha's teachings, except not using it, calling it God consciousness, but losing it in Nibbana. But the idea that there is something which will make you eternal is, of course, the complete barrier for losing self. Because who's going to be eternal? The good part of me, obviously. So that is the, the second of the Asavas. Huh? The third one are the wrong views. Well, the wrong view of self again. Huh? Ignorance is again ignoring the Four Noble Truths. Huh? All comes always down to the same thing. And sometimes we find only the list of three where the wrong view is omitted. Here it says, which is quite nice, through the past moment of stream entry, the the taint of views is destroyed. Through the path of non-returning, the taint of sense desire, and through the path of arahanship, the taint of existence and ignorance, eternal existence and ignorance. And the way there is through insight, sense control, avoidance, wise use of the necessities of life. Um, A taint-free one is always an arahant. 
because his his son the the non-returner has only lost the only lost the sense desire. The uh, arahant has done the whole work. <coughs> So there are six of there are first there are four benefits, four rewards that one loses the aversion and delight and conquers fear and dread and then is able to um, do the jhanas at will and is also able to bear physical and emotional unpleasant feelings because hate and greed have been eliminated in the non-returner and therefore the unpleasantness is no longer disliked and the pleasantness is no longer catered for. So we are talking in the four, first four quite obviously about a non-returner. The other powers, the five mundane ones, as I said, are possible for a non-returner. The last one only for an arahant, namely completely taint-free. Now here we have, I like to go back to that which is also part of this um, Now here when we uh, uh, when I read out this last one where was it? it says that um they abide, they enter upon and abide in the deliverance of the heart and deliverance by understanding that are taint free with the exhaustion of taint. In, that's from the other sutta uh, that I was reading out because the supernormal successes are not printed in this one that we're reading. But in the one that we're reading, it says, by realization himself, this last little paragraph is in there, with direct knowledge here and now, he enters upon and abides in the deliverance of the heart and the deliverance by understanding that are taint free with exhaustion of taint. When mindfulness of the body is developed, repeatedly practiced, made the vehicle, made the basis, established, consolidated and properly undertaken, these ten rewards may be expected. So in other words, when one does mindfulness of the body, arahanship is to be expected. The deliverance of the heart and the deliverance by understanding. Now that's, as I said, Chetu Vimuti and Panya Vimuti. Vimuti liberation, Chetu heart mind, Panya wisdom. They denote two different ways of approach to the same result. The Chetu Vimuti is based on the jhanas and the purification of the emotions through the Brahma Viharas. The Brahma Viharas are the four supreme emotions, the divine abidings, loving kindness, compassion, joy with others, and equanimity. So Chaturvimuti goes through the um, experience of the purification of the emotion along the jhanas to the 
letting go of self which brings then the liberation through understanding the other one Panyavimuti one could say goes through the understanding through insight and then because of the insight which has arisen the emotions are purified and the jhanas arise to some extent and at the apex it also meets together with the liberation of heart and mind however sometimes it's explained differently although I believe that this explanation is what the Buddha had in mind if we read this here sometimes it's explained like this that Chetuvimuti is the experience and Panyavimuti the understanding of it so in other words the past moment is the experience which is a jhanic moment the moment of total concentration which takes one beyond beyond this kind of consciousness and this kind of feeling and the fruit moment is the understanding of it so sometimes the, the two are divided into that which also is quite um, acceptable because both of them are coming together at the apex of experience it doesn't really matter as long as we get there however some of it is helpful in showing us where the work has to be done and obviously there is not a single person in the world that has not become enlightened yet whose emotions do not need purifying I had a letter uh, yesterday I think it was of a lady who read one of my books and she said that um, after reading the book it has become more and more clear to her that uh, she's using the unwholesome emotions at every possible opportunity (laughs) 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 I thought it was rather nice (laughs) and she wants another book (laughs) 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 so um, obviously this is a pathway and one that we stress in the practice the purification of the emotion the jhanic factors and then using those two um, purifications to gain the insight that will liberate us the other way is often also described as the one of pure insight but in order to be complete it has to have the purifications of emotions with it and has to have the jhanic ability in order to get the path moment that is impossible without it so the explanation that one is the path and one is the fruit is also acceptable either way they are the liberating moments now we have a path and a fruit moment in all four of the stages they become more uh, stronger as we go along and they are only complete on the fourth moment and the taint free person is only the Arahant that's the only one who came of whom we can say taint free so any questions
difference between these two ways that you just talked about? And it's, are they two different ways of practicing, really, practically, or are just the way people develop? It seems like there's elements of everything that you've taught mm. in both. Yes. They're just kind of well, in order. Well, there are different interpretations. People interpret this differently. See, now, I've been reading the suttas to you. I think without my interpretations, they don't really make a great deal of impact. <coughs> so you have other people interp- interpreting it differently. So Panyavimuti has been interpreted, as I said, also as pure insight, and therefore the, um, the practice of that has become differently. The jhanas are not being practiced. They're only trying to gain insight um, without any of the relieving factors for the path. And um, it is not um, particularly to be found in the sutta that there is such a way where one doesn't practice the concentration. So it it has had an impact on different type of practice. That's quite true because there are these two kinds of gaining liberation. But as I'm trying to point out, they are so intrinsically connected that they cannot be separated, because at the apex of the experience they've got to come together. There's no way they can be kept apart. If wisdom is there, heart and mind have to be liberated. If heart and mind are liberated, wisdom's got to be there. And Shetu is heart and mind and Panya is wisdom. It's got to be together. They cannot be separated. However, the difference also is, of course, in what we have been talking about quite a lot, where I've told you that it's quite possible and quite acceptable for a person who hasn't been able to let go of thinking to direct their thinking towards inside practices, of which we have talked, the inside practices, the, which we are in Satipatthana Sutta, and use them because calm will arise from that. It is sometimes easier to get the calm first and then get the insight, but some people just can't do it. So they need to get the insight first and then the calm, which is quite all right. So you can look at those as a different ways of practice. Does that answer? Okay. Anything else? One of the things which I think should come uh, quite uh, strongly across from this particular sutta is the importance of the mindfulness of the body. Any of the inside meditation methods connected with mindfulness of the body because of the great rewards which the Buddha mentions that one can have from that. So not to underrate that type of uh, mindfulness that can be very strong in, in walking meditation, the kind of mindfulness of the body. It can concern any of the uh, methods mentioned. It can be very strong when one watches one's movements. It has uh, many uh, possibilities. One of the, the first step to gain insight through that 
is seeing that mind and body are two which has a little bit of an um, division made that we're no longer such a mass, a heap but there is mind, there is body next step is arising and ceasing of all bodily function equally of all mental function and third step is everything is falling apart one sees only the ceasing of physical and mental and as that only that falling apart arises uh, that seeing of that and uh, the jhanas have not been well established yet fear comes with it because that what we are hanging on to me is obviously falling apart right in front of eyes and if we'd still like to keep it we're getting scared And going through that fear, the next uh, uh, um, insight that arises is how dangerous it is to be here. Because we're obviously falling apart. (laughs) Danger of existence, it's called. And having seen the danger of existence, the next thing that arises is a strong urge to get out. The urgency from Vega, the real urgency to get out. And when that arises, the practice becomes, gets a momentum of its own. One doesn't have to uh, push oneself. The momentum has as if a car got stuck and you can't start it. And the first push is very difficult to get it going. But once you get it going with this push, it starts rolling. The wheels are rolling. It's got the momentum of movement. The practice moves. And then, as one has the momentum of movement and the, um, the urgency to get out, and one does have the jhanas, it becomes very clear that the world does not offer anything that's really valuable. That's when disenchantment arises. That's the first step that would, could be called super mundane because until then we've still been trying to find our satisfaction in the world when we were disenchanted with the world not looking at it negatively not saying it's all bad that's easy enough to do no, it's just the disenchantment is that we're no longer tempted So when you all got there, I'll tell you the rest. Let's <laughs> 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 get to disenchantment first. Huh? Okay, any questions?
all quite clear. Hmm? 